time of thinking back, thinking about fathers. And I, well, traditionally on Mother's Day we bless the mothers, Father's Day we spank the fathers. I don't want to do that today. That's not the plan. But I feel under the microscope a lot today. Sunday school lesson of qualifications for leadership and Father's Day. Um, maybe you're not like me, but on Father's Day, I tend to analyze my own life and my own fathering and how short I fall and then I beat myself up and then I get Father's Day cards and feel better. You decide, to some degree or another, I'm sure every father here is looking at their life, seeing how how good they are or are not doing as a father, looking back at things they wish they would have done differently, maybe making resolutions for the next, until next June, saying, I'm going to do better in this area or whatever it is. But I'm sure all of you, to some degree or another, are looking at your lives that way because... Being a father is a huge responsibility. You are responsible to provide for your families materially and spiritually. You're responsible to protect your families physically and spiritually. You're responsible to teach and to lead. The role of the father is not something to be taken lightly or haphazardly. Not something to be planned and carried out on a whim. To do a good job as a father, you can't just wing it. So the purpose of the message this morning is twofold. Firstly, is to encourage those of you who are fathers by looking at the example of our Heavenly Father to renew our zeal to be good fathers. And those of you who aren't yet, pay attention. You could maybe avoid some mistakes that the rest of us have made. Second purpose is to encourage everyone here to look at our Heavenly Father and be thankful for His faithfulness and His His role as a father to all of us. As I look around this room, there are men who I admire in their role as a father. And even growing up, there's been people in my life that have influenced me or, or taught me things as I've looked at them. And I'm sure you can look at people too and say, that I admire that in that person or I admire this in this person. But I don't think any of you can look and say, that father is the perfect package. He has got every quality needed to be a good father. So that's why this morning I want to look at our perfect Heavenly Father. He's got the perfect balance between being firm and being gentle. He's patient. He's got the perfect balance of love and priorities. Never uses a sharp word to tear down his children. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. Verse 19, just for an opening verse, 
This is the account where the angels had just come to Abraham and Sarah and had told them they were going to have a son. And as they're walking away, the angel says, Shall I hide from Abraham the things I am about to do? Genesis 18, 19. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring up, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So put your own name in there. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, these are familiar verses, but listen carefully as I read these. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. In other words, teaching and passing on things to your children needs to be a way of life. It doesn't mean specifically when you're sitting in your house or walking or lying down or, or rising up. It just means that needs to be the way of life, to teach and pass on things to your children. Now, God is speaking directly to Abraham or about Abraham and directly to the children of Israel, but these same principles carry through all the way through until the end of time for fathers. Ephesians 6, Paul tells fathers to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, meaning in the discipline and instruction that come from God. Think about what all of that means, the discipline and instruction that comes from God. I'd like to draw your attention to several characteristics of a good father this morning. Things that we can model our lives after. These characteristics are directly from our Heavenly Father. And as we go through here again, here's my confession. These are things that I struggle with. And you all can probably see that more clearly than I can. So, you can look at me if you like, but I, I want you to look at your own lives, fathers, and be encouraged from this example, from our Heavenly Father, the first thing that we can model our lives after is this. God, as our Heavenly Father, gives us what we need and not what we deserve. There's two ways of looking at this. Adam is a boy from an extremely abusive home. His father beats him, yells at him, belittles him. There's no love whatsoever in that home. The situation became so bad that social services stepped in and removed Adam from that home and put him into a foster home. And the foster parents quickly discovered that his behavior was just terrible. He would lie. He would cheat. He would scream. He would throw temper tantrums. He was just ornery. A 
terribly behaved child. If that child was in your home, that child would deserve some severe punishment. But we know what Adam has been through, and he still deserves severe punishment, but what he needs first is some love and some confirmation. These foster parents need to discern what he needs and what he deserves. The second way of looking at it is this. There was a father with two sons. We're going to cut some firewood for a neighbor. It was a big pile of firewood. And they started cutting this firewood. And they worked all day long. They worked hard. They cut almost all of this pile. At the end of the day, there was a little bit left. These boys deserve to be done. They worked hard. They deserve a break. They deserve to go enjoy themselves. The pile is almost finished. They deserve to be done, but what they need is to go back the next day and finish this pile. To build this character in their life that you don't finish until the job is completed. What they need, again, is different than what they deserve. Do you see the different ways of looking at this? Giving our children what they need rather than what they deserve. There are times also when what a child deserves is what they need. Whether it's discipline or whether it's commendation, what they deserve might be what they need. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. When we can discern as fathers what our children need and what they deserve and discern which is what we should give them, that is a sign of our love for our children or for our families. Romans chapter 5, verses 6, 7, and 8. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commandeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here is where God gives us what we need and not what we deserve. What he's saying here is for a fairly, a fairly good person is condemned to die, someone might take their place. They might be worthy. They might deserve to have their place taken. You might do it. For a very good person, most people would, do, would take their place, would die for them. But then he goes way back and he says, you were nothing, you were a sinner. Not a good person at all. And yet Jesus still took your place. God gave you what you needed, not what you deserved. I'm thankful for that this morning, are you? That God gives us what we need. He offers us salvation, what we need, not what we deserve. And that happens not just at salvation, but I think it happens throughout our lives. 
God pours his mercy and his grace into our lives, not because we deserve it at all, but because it's what we need and he has our best in mind. The second lesson we can learn, God knows us and he is interested in us. Turn to Psalm 139. God, as our Heavenly Father, knows our hearts. He knows all about us. And God, as our Heavenly Father, is interested in us. Psalm 139, the first three verses. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. And we could keep going in that chapter as it talks about God knowing us, taking an interest in us, knowing everything about us. Our Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father, knows you to the point of knowing your thoughts. It says, He understandeth my thoughts afar off. I think that includes things like motives and why you do what you do. He knows you that well. He takes that much interest in your life. Matthew 10, 29-31 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. That's a fairly simple passage to understand. A sparrow is a penny worth they're not worth much and yet one penny one penny one sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God knowing it he says you're so much more valuable than that God knows you to the point of every single hair on your head is numbered he knows you that intimately God knows us inside and out as I was thinking about how God, how much, how well God knows us, how He knows our life, He knows what we think, He has an interest in what we do and why we do it. My mind was drawn to the song, His Eye is on the Sparrow. It says, Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is He. His eye is on the sparrow and I know He watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And the chorus says, I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free, for his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. That is our Heavenly Father. His eye is on the sparrow, and he is watching you. He's watching your heart. He's watching your mind. He's watching your life. Not in a condemning way, but because there's interest there. He's interested in what you're doing. Our Heavenly Father has our best in mind and He's watching over us. He's there to protect us and that's your role as fathers to protect your families, to protect them physically, to provide for them physically and to protect them spiritually. That could very well mean making unpopular decisions in the home. That children or young people aren't going to understand but that doesn't diminish your responsibility to protect so how well do you know 
your children. God, as our Heavenly Father, takes enough interest in me that He knows how many hairs I have on my head. He's got them all numbered. How well do you know your children? There are many times when my children come to me with a problem in their life or a question that to me seems silly or irrational. And sometimes I just want to say, when you have a problem, come to me, but figure this one out. I see some knowing smiles. There's not a doubt in my mind that God would have every right to think that about me. When I come to God with some problems I have sometimes or some something I'm working through, something I'm upset about or and I just can he doesn't do this, but I he would have the right to look down and just shake his head and say, "When you have a problem, then come to me." This is not a problem. He may think I'm making a big deal out of nothing. There are gentle ways to help your children work through their problems. Things that to us seem small but are very real to them. Ways that will help them build a calm and a godly character. The problems are real to them. Your problems are real to you. Their problems are real to them. And there are ways to help them work through that, to work through these problems. Maybe it's a problem of their own making, some mess they got themselves into. And now they have a problem. And they come to you and they say, Father or Dad, I, I need help. And our tendency is, well, you got yourself into the mess, you get yourself out. There are ways of helping them through this to take responsibility for their own problems and not to pass the buck or to blame someone else. There are ways to teach your children to own their problems. Maybe it's something that they, a problem they came upon that is not their own fault. Maybe it's unfairness. Or maybe it's they've been ridiculed or teased and it's, it's nothing they have done. But it's a problem. They've got a problem. Again, there are ways to help children work through this that they can take responsibility for it. They can work through it in a noble way. So coming back to the thought of God knowing us, caring about us enough to know, to number the hair's on our head. Does your family know that you care about them? If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you care about your family, have an interest in them, every father's hand would go up, I have no doubt. Do they know that? Or how do they know that? This leads us to the third lesson we can learn. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. The third lesson is this. God sees the value of his family. Galatians chapter 4, 
verses 4, 5, and 6. God sees the value of his family. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Here in Galatians 4, it tells us that we are redeemed to become his children. Something for you to think about sometime is what it means to be a child of God. But in Galatians, it tells us we are redeemed, and that word redeemed is important. We are redeemed or bought back to become his children. Hebrews goes on to tell us that we're not just children, but we're heirs. And not just heirs, but joint heirs with Christ. So now we know we were redeemed. We are the sons of God. We are his children. And think about it, fathers, as you love your children and care for them and want to give them, take care of them and protect them and help them. That is how God looks at you. God wants us to be his taken care of, cared for, satisfied children. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 then tells us how precious we are in his sight. For as much as ye know, this is 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That is how valuable you are to God. This is him giving us what we need, not what we deserve, by the death of his only biological son. His only son. That's how precious you are. He recognizes the value of you because of the price that he paid for you. A father that sees the value of his family will sacrifice for them. There are things, and again, this is probably more revealing of my own life than anything else, but there are things that we as men find hard to sacrifice. And I have three things and you can put in more. And I have time, money, and dreams or goals. Those are things that are hard for men or fathers to sacrifice. Time and money and dreams or goals. And these are very connected. All of these things are connected. And you can maybe think of more things or different things to put in this list. Family can get in the way of all of these. They can get in the way of our time. They can get in the way of our money. And they can get in the way of our dreams or of our goals. Or family can help us with these things. An ambitious man will have a dream or a goal of where he wants to be at a certain time. Maybe in business or financially. In five years I want to be here. Or I want to have achieved this. And those aren't bad things. To have goals like that is not bad. But when we sacrifice our families for the sake of these goals, then it is a problem. So as fathers, we probably will need to be willing to sacrifice some time. We need to be willing to sacrifice money. And we may need to be willing to sacrifice 
a goal or a dream for the sake of our family. A father who sees value in his family will have the discipline to prioritize. And again, that one is a hard one. The discipline to prioritize. There are things that I want to get done. There are things that need to be done. Badly. Right now. And so I have to prioritize. Is spending some time with my family more important or is getting this whatever it is done more important and you know what it is you know in your heart you know what these what the answer to these are but when you're in the middle of it you think well it's just going to take a, a few more minutes and then I'll be done and you've lost the moment by then if you think as a father if you think now I need to start spending time with my children they're almost teenagers I need to start spending time with it you've missed it it's too late They've, they've found their loyalty somewhere else. They've, they know now who they're going to go to. They know who has an interest in their heart and in their life. A man who sees value in his family will sacrifice for his family. The fourth lesson is this. God, our Father, is approachable. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. God, as our Heavenly Father, is approachable. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 says, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ is our intercessor. Jesus, who was here on earth, says was tempted in like the same way we are. He was tempted. He's been through what you're going through. Because of that, he understands what you're going through. And because of that, verse 16, we can come boldly before God and find the help we need. And we need help. You do need help. And you can come boldly, be, boldly to God and say, I need help with this. And Jesus is our intercessor right there on the right hand of God. And he can say, he does need help with this. And I know why he needs help with this. It's because I've been through that. I know what it's like. That's why we can come boldly. Our Heavenly Father is approachable. I think it's important for us as fathers to understand that I and you were young once too. I look at the behavior of some younger children and I think, what? Where did they get that? I'm sure I was young once too. I'm sure you were young once too. And you look at the way they act and you shake your head and your father did that too. So you need to remember that. Not in a way to excuse behavior or not in a way to shrug off a problem, but to remind you, you were once 
there to, to help you understand what this young person or this child is going through. It, they may be immature, they may be working through something, but you did too. So again, it's not to excuse this behavior, but to remember you were there. You have been through that. You've walked that same road 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. One thing I, I'm trying to remember is if I don't show that I care now, if I don't show that I care now to my children, I should not be surprised if they don't come to me for advice later. If you aren't approachable as a father, your influence is weakened. Our Heavenly Father is approachable. An approachable father is patient. An approachable father is not belittling. An approachable father will take time to listen. There will be times when you just don't have time right now to listen. But I think it's wise to follow up with that later. You don't have to stop every time what you're doing right now to hear what your child has. But don't ignore it. Follow up with that later. It seems... And I know this isn't the case, but it seems to me that every time I am concentrating or really busy with something, one of my children comes and has a problem or a question or something they need me to come see, to show interest in. Every time I'm concentrating or busy, they come and they need, come, come look at this or can you fix this or can... No, I can't. I'm busy right now is what I want to say. I think you can understand what I'm saying here. It's so easy to brush it off, but when we do that, we are saying, you're not as important as what I'm doing right now. I don't have time for you. An approachable father will be patient, will not be annoyed, will not be gruff, an approachable father is willing to admit that he was wrong. Your children can see your inconsistencies and your flaws. They live with you. They can see it. They also need to see you willing to ask forgiveness, willing to apologize. The fifth lesson we can learn is that God disciplines his children. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. God has set up a rule or a law of life where there are consequences for behavior. We are free. You are always free to make your own choices but you can't choose your own consequences. There are a few instances in the Old Testament where God gave them choices of consequences, but there were still consequences for what they did. This is not a popular thought in the world today. Consequences or discipline of any kind. And we all know of heavy-handed disciplinarians that we could look back and say, 
they really disciplined a lot, like to the point of abuse. You can all think of somebody like that. But I'm afraid we've reacted to that. We react to that to the point where we are adopting a little bit of the world's philosophy of if I discipline this child, they might resent me. Or if I stick to my guns and where no means no, they might resent me. It is very difficult as a father to be consistent in discipline. I find it that way. To be consistent. It takes time to be consistent. It takes wisdom to be consistent. And maybe hardest of all, it takes explanations to be consistent. If you say, because I said so, that works, that, that's fine. It works for a while. But there are times when you're going to need to explain something, why no means no, that your child isn't going to understand. It's so easy for me to make exceptions when I say no or there needs to be discipline to make an exception. But what I'm discovering is when you make exceptions to an instruction or to a standard, when you make this over and over, it's no longer an exception. It's it's just the rule. It's the way it is. And you can see the difference, but your child cannot see the difference. Because you've excused that so many times. You've made so many exceptions. You know the original intent of what that rule or that standard or whatever it was. You know the original intent, so you still see it as an exception. Where you might think, not consciously, but you think, well, I'll let it go this time. Or I'll let it go this time. Or I'll let it go this time. But you know what the intent is. They don't. All they see is he's letting it go, he's letting it go, he's letting it go. It's not a problem. When things are excused over and over, it becomes normal. That's why consistency is important in discipline. If you want to raise disrespectful youth, don't discipline. Don't follow up with consequences and show them through that that no may or may not mean no. I'd like to close with some thoughts here. The intent of this was not to discourage you as fathers, but rather to encourage you to take a fresh look and some fresh zeal at being a good father give you a fresh perspective. And as I was studying, there were several things that really stood out to me that I need to improve on. First one is that I need to be more patient to take time and show that I do, or to take time to show how something works or how something needs to be done. It may take more time to teach somebody to do something than to just do it yourself. But I need to be patient to to do that, to show how something works or how something needs to be done. Another thing I need to do is to listen better, to hear what my children are telling me. 
you can hear something without listening to it. Did you know that? You can hear it and it goes in one ear and out the other and you don't listen. I need to do better at listening. To ask questions, to be interested in what they're saying, in what they're doing. And I'd like to be more consistent in in discipline. It would really make my job easier, I think. Less threats, maybe, and more action. I'm thankful this morning for a Heavenly Father who's a perfect example of patience, perfect example of gentleness, and a perfect res- example of responsibility. A Heavenly Father that's approachable, that won't crush my spirit with angry or harsh words. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer?